Hey, thanks, instrumentalists, for your sacrifice of praise this morning. Good stuff. It's great to be in the joy of the Lord, isn't it? It really doesn't matter what our circumstances are because we have the joy of the Lord, and it is our strength. And we have that joy in the Lord through our salvation in Him. You know, it hit me this week as I was studying that, um, not the text that I was studying, but as I was studying for the text, I realized that this most tragic irony occurred in the uh, coming of the Lord when he, when the word became flesh. And and that verse is John 1, 11. And and I don't know if you ever thought about it before, but it says he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. I think two of the great ironies of the Christian reality are these. That the very medicine that can cure the human condition is rejected by most people. And the second is that those that seem most resistant are often the ones that are closest to the action. I I mean, think about this. When Christ came, when, when God became flesh and came and dwelt among us, the Lord did not drop into the middle of some pagan tribe somewhere. But he came to be among those who were supposedly worshipers of Yahweh. Those who were chasing after the great I am. He came among his own, the Jews, and religious Jews. And they would not receive him. I want you to open up your Bibles this morning to John chapter 8 as we continue on our series of the I am's of Jesus. To the God-fearers and to the Yahweh, supposedly Yahweh worshipers. John chapter 8, I want to begin at verse 12, but by the way, the, um, the story itself really begins at least in John seven fourteen. And continues through, and then um, there's a separation of an event there that probably somewhat misplaced in John or John eight one to to eleven. So picking it up at verse twelve, it says this: When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." And here's the shocker, really, I think. Among the religious leadership, the Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. You see, in the, the system, the legal system, there had to be two witnesses. And Jesus says, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. In other words, I know who I am. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. In other words, by your superficial methods, that is. But if I do judge, and he does... My decisions are right because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. 
In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. And I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the palace, or sorry, near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will, you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied, I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable in what I have heard from him, I tell the world. Our Father, as we have opened before us your word, which is truth, I pray that we might not miss the the central point of this text this morning. Of course, the description of Christ and who he is, but might we not miss the context and application, the setting, that we might not be so familiar with these things, that we might not be so steeped in religion and tradition and ritual, that we might fail to see what God is doing in Christ, as they did. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Notice what he says in this text as terms of what are the stakes of whether or not we get this or understand it or ap- apprehend it or apply it. I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. You will indeed die in your sins. If you look in your text, there should be square brackets around the part that follows the I am because that's added for sort of some sort of flow of, of the text. And, and Jesus is declaring a significant title for himself and the stakes are if you don't believe that I am, I am the great I am. I am he, the one. You will indeed die in your sins. And it seems that in this text, uh, immersed in the, the temple courts where he is teaching, it says he's, he's teaching right at the usher station, and, and he's teaching in the center of the place where they have come to allegedly worship God. They've been looking and longing for their Messiah, that's the place they were at. And it seems to me that, that those in greatest danger are often the people who have aimed all of their light on their religious ways of doing things and are missing what God is doing in Christ. We sometimes are so focused on the, the, the worship ceremony, the, the things that we do, the way that we become accustomed to living in so-called ways to please God that we're actually missing the point. My brother-in-law and I were uh, 
together yesterday, and we were, we were in Guelph, actually, and we were on the outskirts of the city. You know where there's always the welcome sign to the city? And, um, and invariably, when you go to a city, the welcome sign, welcome to Guelph or wherever, is the, like the rattiest place in the city. I mean, that goes from city to city. In fact, I found, I found one in Vancouver. Check it out. Welcome to Vancouver. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't know why I came up with that, but, but it, it, you know, and often, you know, this is the introduction to the city. And, and we say, that's, you know, hey, I, I was wanting to go to Vancouver. I've now arrived at Vancouver. Hey, kids, let's get the camping gear out. Let's pitch the tents right here. This is a great place. People who know the city, well, cities, other cities, are, are nice and, and, and it would be inappropriate to stay there. Now, unfortunately, I think that, that many who are, have come into some sort of acquaintance with Jesus Christ or some sort of religious intersection have maybe missed the point and they think that maybe they have arrived at the fullness of all they need and in fact, all they've got is an introduction. And, and that was the situation with Christ when, when he walks into the, uh, the, the, the feast there, the, the, the event that was going on, and, and the Pharisees challenge him. Jesus said, note in the text, whoever follows me, there's, there's action involved here. There's, there's activity, there's movement, there's mission. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I would submit to you that people walking in the midst of the greatest amount of religious memorabilia are often walking in darkness. High church has landed on tradition and ritual as being the goal. There are many great cathedrals around the world with magnificent stained glass windows that no longer proclaim the light of Christ. We have no end of books and TV and churches and programs and camps and radio. In fact, on our, on our own street here, our own intersection, there's three churches on four corners. On two separate occasions when when friends had, uh, ministry friends had visited us, us from other places. In particular, Pastor Benon from Istanbul and, and Pastor Petya from, from uh, Odessa, Ukraine. And the first thing they both remarked, well, the first reaction I got from them is, is to watch their eyes bug out as they showed up on our property and they looked around and they were like, a church there, a church there, a church here. This is a country of churches. They couldn't believe their eyes. There's all kinds of churches, all kinds of religion, all kinds of traditions. In this particular situation, Jesus was attending the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, I don't know if you know anything about the time of the Feast of the Tabernacle, but, but that was at harvest time each year. It was around the fall of the year. And so they would gather at the temple, they would gather in Jerusalem to have this great big celebration and feast and ceremony. 
And, and they were celebrating the greatness of God and what God had done for them and how he had given them the sun and the rain all summer and how they were enjoying the crops that, that had now borne fruit and they were celebrating this, but also they were celebrating that someday, someday Messiah would come and there would be no more night and they would need no more uh, luminaries. They wouldn't need the sun or they wouldn't need the moon because, because the light would be from the Messiah. And, and so to demonstrate that, they had in the, in the court of the women where it would be the highest traffic, they, they had put up four large columns and on top of each of those columns, four large bowls that they would fill with oil. And so large were they that were to make wicks, they would use the discarded garments of the priests and, and roll, twist them up and throw them into the oil and they would, they would light this whole thing on fire and people would be carrying around torches and it was magnificent. Because think about this. In a culture, in a time when they didn't have street lights and they didn't have artificial light like that, that, that when something lit up the night sky, it was unbelievable. And they were in the, and, and as I said, in the temple courts of the, uh, the court of the women, it, the, this massive amount of light would be bouncing off the limestone walls of Jerusalem, of, this, of the temple. And some described it from the, from the ancient text. They described the, the kinds of things that were going on there. And they said, when they were lit at night, all of Jerusalem was illumined. And it was said here that, that whoever has not seen th this, whoever has not seen these, has never seen a wonder in his life. It also says here that... that uh, it was, it's not dissimilar to, the, to our Easter event when, when Pastor Steve and Bev put together that, that light thing for us and, and we were singing and all of that, but this was even more spectacular and more rambunctious because it says in there that, that in the ancient text that, that, that men of piety were dancing and the Levitical orchestras were playing. Pastor Steve just wouldn't let us cut loose. He wouldn't let me cut loose. Men of piety dancing. Yeah, I'll get up there and dance, all right. And, and, and so, so you've got this amazing thing taking place. And in that event, Jesus steps forward and says, well, this is nice. You're lighting up Jerusalem. I am the light of the world. the feast and the gathering and the celebration was in anticipation of the coming of Messiah. And there he was. And what do we pick up in the text? The Pharisees, verse 13, embraced him, welcomed him. Messiah is here. Messiah is here. They were longing for Messiah. No, it says they challenged him. I wonder, you know, if Jesus stepped into our century, if he walked into our church, if he picked up or pointed to one of our religious symbols and challenged our present use of those symbols, original meaning, would we cheer or would we fight him? What if Jesus showed up and pressed us for the implications of what we've been singing this morning? 
the application of what we've been singing, the power of your love is changing me. So what if he stepped up and said, okay, let's go fishing today. I don't mean fishing for fish. I mean fishing for men and women and boys and girls. What if he said, let's go, let's go forgive that person who you haven't forgiven. Uh, let, let's go sacrifice for that person who needs your help. Let, let's, go, let, let's go make friends with that person at work who's making your life so miserable. Let's love that person. I wonder if we'd cheer him or we'd fight him. It seems that the high point of Yahweh worship, the purpose of the feast and event was to look for Messiah. The purpose of this event this morning is to gather together and to worship him. This is to be a culmination of a a week-long worship. Each of us following hard after Christ, gathering together, and in this gathering, spurring one another on to love and good works, and then to leave from this place and to carry this worship momentum into the day-to-day gatherings, places, people. Or has this become the end in itself? The point of the Feast of Tabernacles was to point to Messiah. The point of us gathering together is to point to Christ, is to worship him, is to long for him, it's to love him, it's to come into a relationship with him if you have not. In Zechariah 14, 5 to 7, it talks about the Feast of Tabernacles and, and then talks, they, they use this text as, as the, the point of reference to the scriptures of what they were longing for and what they were looking for. Listen to it. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. On that day there will be no light, no cold, nor frost. It will be a unique day without daytime or nighttime, a day known to the Lord. When evening comes, there will be light. Jesus says, hello. I am the light of the world. The battle in religious sourced ideas is always around the inability of most to see what God is doing in Christ. It seems odd, doesn't it, that here he is with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the keepers of the law, the the highest instructors of the law, and here he is having to fight for light with leaders who were supposedly entrusted with the light. They are already living in the city of God. And they have no sensitivities when he shows up. So what are the signs of darkness? Well, Jesus said in 7.24, you judge by mere appearances. You know what the problem was? They could only see him as flesh. And they didn't realize they were staring into the face of eternity. 
more foolish than that, we judge out of ignorance. If you look back in your uh, Bibles, just a few verses in chapter 7, verse 41, it's, uh, they're describing in verse 40, it's talking about on hearing his words, they're asking like, who is this? Some of the people were saying, well, surely this man is the prophet. Others are saying, he is the Christ. Still others asked, how can Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family? Check. And from Bethlehem? Check. Who do they think they were talking to? Thus the people, it says, were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he's deceived you as well? The Pharisees retorted, listen, listen to their wisdom. Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, or in other words, they know nothing of their Bibles, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, listen to this, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet, or better put, the prophet, the expected Messiah, does not come out of Galilee. I decided to look into it. So I looked into it. I looked into it in Isaiah 9, verse 1 through 3. I looked into their Bible, the one they had, and here's what I read. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. The very text that they were celebrating at the Feast of Tabernacles, the Pharisees, the senior pastors, the highest religious officials say, there's no way Messiah is coming out of Galilee. And there he was. Born in Bethlehem of the house of David, ministering out of Galilee, a light will shine in the darkness and he stands in the feast. He stands at the church service and says, I'm it. I'm the point. I'm why you allegedly gathered here this morning. I am the light of the world. We judge out of ignorance. We judge from the taint of sin and flesh, Jesus says to them in verse 14, you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. Well, there are signs of life, and that's what we want to talk about. I hope that you're not judging by mere appearances. I certainly hope you're not judging Jesus by ignorance. And I hope that you're not living on the information of judgment that comes out of your sin-tainted flesh. 
If you are, you will miss what God is doing in Christ. The signs of life are this. If you follow Jesus, you will have life's light. By the way, this is the boiling point. This is the place of division. This determines, this is the place where you determine who Jesus is to you and what the implications of that are and what the application of that is in your life. Many people have camped at the starting sign. Jesus didn't say, camp at the sign. He says, follow me. Follow me. There's movement. There's action. There's mission. We are on mission with Christ. Following the light that shows the way through the wilderness. He is that glorious pillar of light from the Old Testament, the great I Am. He can literally stand in the Feast of Tabernacles and say, been there, done that. Come follow me. To those who've grown comfortable within the boundaries of their traditions and religious agendas and self-appointed measurements of what pleases Jesus, he stands before all of us and says, I'm the light. Look to me. Follow me. I am the light of the world. John has already elaborated in the first chapters of the Gospel of John that in fact, it's the creator who brings life. And he brings this life light. Nothing lives without the light of God. In fact, the first of the light of creation of God, the first creation was light. Let there be light. And the creator brings this life-producing light without which we'll only survive a couple of days. The fields will be gone. There'll be no harvest. That was the Feast of the Tabernacles. It's because of the great light of God. And we're looking ultimately for that light. We're looking for the source of light. We're looking for the light of Messiah. And he stands before them and says, I'm it. I am the light of the world. Whoever comes to me, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but we'll have the light of life. He is the true light that gives light, John 1, 9. You see, people want to just keep God in heaven and we'll patrol earth. And, and then we can be left to ourselves and, and wonder and interpret however we want. Well, I think God would want this. Well, I think God would want that. Well, I'm pretty sure God would be pleased with this. And people wander around all over the places where you work, the places where you live, the, the within your own family saying, well, I, I just think, no, no, he, he didn't stay in heaven. He came to live among us. We're no longer left in mystery wondering, well, how to please God? What should I do? How should I live? Jesus says, I am it. I'm the light of the world. I've opened up that understanding for you. If God were here on earth, how would he live? I'm it. We want to retain our flesh and earthbound judgments and decisions, making more about the things of men than pushing forward the things of God. Our own personal agendas that we 
have nothing to do with advancing God's mission and we turn them into motions and those motions become policies and we run churches on them in the name of Jesus. He says, wait a minute, wait. I'm the light of the world. He who follows me, my agenda, my way of looking at life, not your way. I don't judge by human standards. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? This light that he's talking about that gives life, I am the light of the world, the point of that is not so that we have brightness on things. It's so that the blindness that Satan formerly held us captive to so that we couldn't see the things of God, we now can see. I once was blind, but now I see. I once couldn't understand this. I once didn't get it. I once didn't embrace it. I once didn't want to embrace it. His word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. He brings salvation to us and then leads us. He brings salvation to us at the starting point of salvation and then leads us with his light. Waving the light saying, here I am, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will take you. I will lead you. You are my witnesses, Isaiah 43. The very text that Jesus is referring to in John 8, 24 and John 8, 28 when he says, I am it. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the I am. And apart from me there is no savior. This is the very text that Jesus quoted in the Feast of Tabernacles that day in John 8, 24. I am he. I am the Lord. I am the great I am. That title, that reference, that description, if properly understood, shakes our souls and shakes every day of our lives. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is inconvenient. He is uncomfortable. He is costly. He is time demanding and he is attention demanding. And we love him and he loves us. So how do we conclude this morning? What should you do? What should I do? Because he stands in this room too. And I wonder how much competition he has with your ways of doing things, your way of challenging his word when it comes up against the ways you want to live. When you gather together and we worship together and you come with an attitude that says, I'm not really into this. And he stands there and says, are you missing the point? The point is Christ. He says, follow me. Follow Jesus. You'll never walk in darkness. You know, there's a whole bunch of people out there who say, well, I'm 
I'm into God. I, I, I really believe God is relevant and all of that, but Jesus, ah, not so much so. You can't have God unless you have Jesus. See, these, these people at that tabernacle, they were into God. They were into Yahweh. They were into the great I am. At least they thought they were. But their hearts were far from him. And it was revealed when the true heart of God showed up in their presence, making demands of them. You must follow me. Who does he think he is? He's God. He's the great I am. You must hold to his teachings. Verse 31, 32, he says that here. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus Christ brings truth. He is truth, the only thing that brings freedom. Freedom from choices and bad choices and choices that will trap you and decisions that will trap you and lead you into false things and dark things and suffering things and painful things and hurtful things that will damage you emotionally and damage you spiritually and ultimately damage you physically. Jesus says the truth will set you free from all of that and only the truth will set you free. Down in verse 35 and 36, it says, if you follow me, you'll have a permanent place in God's family. Formerly, you were slaves to sins and self. And the only person who can set you free from slavery is Father God. And Father God has given me the right as son And who the Son sets free, he says, is free indeed. Free. Because religion, heritage, good behavior can't set you free. Only the Son can set you free. If you hold to his teachings, you will not die in your sins, but live forever. If you follow Jesus and hold to his teachings... I'm asking you this morning, are there teachings that you are aware of that you are refusing to hold to, that you challenge? Because following Jesus means you go past the welcome sign. Parents who are here this morning will know that there's no way you could sell a camping trip right there. I'm afraid some of us are trying to have that kind of a relationship with God. We just don't want to go all the way in. We don't want to go all the way to Jesus is the great I am, which in translation in English is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is about Jesus as Savior and Lord. Lord and Master, owner. And we're missing it. We're settling on religious security we're settling on heritage we're settling on 
the law. We're settling on national heritage. We're trying to believe that works will be there, will get us there. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let me ask you this morning as we close. Are you hearing Jesus speak to you and are you following him? Is your religious stuff about Jesus or just about religion? Are you walking in the light or are you walking in the darkness and pretending you're walking in the light? Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Our Father and our God, I pray this morning as we think on these things and sing this song about the light of Christ, that you might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, probe our hearts this morning. This is a time for you to search our hearts, search our ways, and know us, because you're the light of life. You turn the searchlight on our hearts and the things that we've been holding in the darkness must flee. Lord, are we holding to your teachings or are we holding back from your teachings? Are we challenging you? Are we refusing to apply the things of God in our lives? And thereby, your voice is becoming more and more distant. We've got all this celebration stuff going on, but you're standing off in the background saying, wait a second, this was all supposed to be about me. So our Father, we open up our hearts this morning as we sing together and allow you to work in our lives as we close this morning in Jesus' name.